May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Well, poor old James and John, just when they thought they had it all sorted out, when they thought they understood what was happening, they get it terribly wrong, don't they? They thought they understood what, what God was doing in this person, Jesus, who was clearly somebody pretty special. They had an inkling that he was the Messiah, although what they understood by that was entirely different from what we might understand by that. When he'd healed many people, he was a teacher with words of life. He'd shown power over the natural world and over the world of spirits. And now they were off to Jerusalem. Surely in Jerusalem, things would change. Clearly God was with them. And when God was with you, you were blessed with success. Everyone knew that. Because God is a moral and just God and rewards those who follow God. He rewards them with a long life and many descendants. He rewards them with wealth. And they were hoping they would be rewarded with power. And their brothers, their first loyalty is to each other, not to anyone else in that group. First Jesus, then their brothers, then the others. Family always came first. And so they set out to get the best opportunity for themselves and for their family name. And they asked to be at Jesus' left and right-hand side, the place of power and wealth. If only they had taken more notice of Job. Job. Most of the Old Testament works on that theology. That theology that God is moral and just, we can have the other picture up now. That God is moral and just, and God will reward the moral and just with long life and many sons, maybe daughters, but sons are super important, health and wealth. And God will punish those who are not moral and just. And so the wealthy were seen as rewarded by God, and therefore moral and just, even when the evidence said they were not moral or just. And the poor and sick were seen as punished. And then along comes Job. The story of Job is an interesting one. It's kind of perplexed Christians down the ages. It's the minority voice to the dominant theology of the rest of the Old Testament. And I do get intrigued when people say, well, we, we stand for the inerrant word of God and for the authority of the Bible. I'm going, well, that assumes that there's only one message in the Bible and there's clearly lots of different messages. And here's one of those cases where Job stands against the rest of the theology of the Old Testament. So in the story, we have Job, who is moral and just, and we have God. And God says to the Satan, and the Satan in this story is not the Satan as we understand it. The Satan at this point is kind of like the chief prosecutor, the one who keeps you honest. 
and hunts out those who are not doing what they should be doing and brings them to the attention of God. And so the Satan says, well, God says to the Satan, look at my servant Job, he's very faithful, he's very moral and just. And the Satan says, he's only faithful because you keep rewarding him with all these goodies. And if you took them away, he would curse you. And God says, no, that's not true. He's faithful. Even if I took all those things away, he would still be faithful. So they have a bit of a a discussion about that. In the end, the Satan is allowed to take all those things away. He's just not allowed to kill him. So he loses his family. He loses his wealth. He loses his animals. His land no longer produces. His family dies. And his wife comes to him and says, you should curse God and be done with it. And he says, no, I will not curse God. And then his friends come. Super excellent friends. You can see them in that picture there. There's a group of three and then there's a fourth one. The problem was the theology said that God is moral and just, that God will reward the moral and just, and that Job said, I am moral and just. Now those three things can't all be true because he was not being rewarded. So he said, something's gone wrong with God and I want my day in court. I want to be vindicated. God thinks that I am not moral and just. And his friends say, well God is moral and just, therefore you have done something terrible for all of these things to happen. You need to repent And then God will reward you again. And then the fourth friend comes, and there's a very long discussion, and he says pretty much the same thing. And then at the end of the story, which we heard today, the first part of it, God re-enters. So what does God say about all of that? Well, God says, Who said that I have to act that way? Who said that the universe is built on these foundations. Were you there when I created everything? No, you were not. Now here's the thing. I'm God, and I make the rules, not you. So I will do whatever I will do. I mean, that is the name of God. I will be who I will be. I am who I am. I was who I was. God is. And it was a strong warning to anyone who had a very rigid theology, who knew exactly how God should operate, that actually, in the end, we don't. In the end, all we can do is trust God to be God. Now, I first encountered this in my second year at Theological College, which is the year you're supposed to lose your faith. And it was so freeing to know that I didn't have to have all the answers. And in fact, even when I had the answers, I had to hold them incredibly lightly. They were good signposts towards the answer, but they could at any moment be wrong. One of my lecturers said, in theology, we too often look for the answers when in fact what we should be doing is looking for the questions. 
theology is built on questions, not the answers. And if your answer doesn't lead to the next question, well, it was the wrong answer and you should go back and find the right answer that leads to the next question. So Job is a warning to us that every time we have a very clear and fixed theology, we need to let it go. Which takes us back to James and John. Now, they just did not get what Jesus was talking about. Because right before this story, he had said, for the third time, we are going to Jerusalem where I will be killed. And on the third day, rise again. That I will be killed was not computing. That did not fit with their theology. God is moral and just. God rewards the moral and just. We don't reward people with death. And that is exactly what Jesus was saying. Again, countering the dominant theology of their day. And then Jesus says this very interesting line about how he is a ransom for many, which has been used to uh, undergird an atonement theology that says God is grumpy with us and we cannot, because God is moral and just, we cannot enter into God's presence, we cannot get into heaven. And so Jesus was sent to be a ransom for us so that we might get into heaven. St. Anselm, Archbishop of Canterbury in about 1080 something, he was the guy that made that up using feudal society to try to explain Augustine of Hippo to people. But actually, until Anselm, and then the Protestants got hold of it, Luther and Calvin and the others, and it became, within the Protestant part of the church, the dominant way of understanding atonement. And it is amazing how many people today still kind of hold on to that, this, well, in terms of church history, modern understanding of atonement. So what might the early theologians, if we take Job seriously and say, well, that's a nice, neat thing, but, you know, is it, is it, is, are there alternatives? Are there ways that we can understand that? Well, the early church for the first thousand years would have understood that phrase very differently. The word ransom is the payment made to free a slave. So if you were a slave, um, often you could earn money as a slave and then you could buy your freedom or somebody else could buy your freedom. Slavery was not a lifelong thing. That was a, a peculiarly British invention applied to black Africans. So up until around that time, slaves could buy their freedom. That was called a ransom. So what is the ransom that's being paid for humanity? What are we enslaved to? That's the question. Are we enslaved to God? No. We were enslaved to sin, or the early church at times talked about being enslaved to Satan, who demanded that a ransom be paid or we would die. And so God, in God's love, comes among us 
and pays that ransom so that we are freed from our slavery. So whenever we think we have theology sorted and we have God sorted, well, then we are in danger of being with James and John. And we need to remember Job and the minority voice which says, well, you probably don't. Well done, but you probably don't have it sorted. In the 13th century, there was a mystic called Meister Eckhart who's kind of getting a having a bit of a comeback at the moment. There's a lot more people paying attention to some of the things he said. And one of the things he said was, God, free me of God, which worries some people. But essentially he's saying the same thing as Job. We build up these very neat packages about God, which actually lead us astray from the true God. And so out of his life of prayer... He said, we need to be freed of our images of God. We need to be freed of our ideas about God. We need to encounter the true God. And we can only do that when we let go. So I invite you to think about what are the neat theological packages that maybe you need to let go of. How does Job speak to you in your life with God? When you pray that prayer, God, free me of God, what it is, what is it that you need to be freed of? So let's spend a moment thinking about that. If you want to, you can talk to your neighbour about that. We're not going to do a creed, because a creed is a nice, neat theological package. In fact, we need to be freed of some of those nice, neat theological packages. So today, no creed.